telling where you'll end up. Can you make it through? To the night's end. Remind me never to date a doctor. I've definitely heard of people like him. Uh, the Chamberlain's 0533365, the Blake's 0378.12, the Armstrong's 0103585. Interest will cover. Oh, uh, hello, sir. My apologies. I didn't see you there. Name's Jonathan Redston, but people call me John. Hello, John. Nice to meet you. Are you lost? Ah, I was just heading to work. Uh, Lots of transactions today. (laughs) You know how it is. A banker's work is never done. I don't think you'll find a bank around here, John. Well, isn't that peculiar? (laughs) I, I must have taken a wrong turn somewhere along the line. Yes. Well, it is strange seeing a man in a suit tramping through a meadow. Curious. Hmm. Well, I must continue, sirs. I have a very important appointment with the High Priestess. She is not known to tolerate tardiness. High Priestess? John? Oh! Hello, sir. My apologies. I didn't see you there. Name's Jonathan Redston, but people call me John. I'm sorry, I must push on. A very important appointment. Nice to meet you. So, that was weird. Why do all the people we meet here appear to be a bit mad? You're probably onto something there. There is more than meets the eye here. Let's keep going. I'm sure something will reveal itself when it's ready. Hair and Teeth Written by Deborah Sheldon Narrated by Georgia Cook blood. So much blood. It runs out of Elaine's body for weeks at a time, soaking through sanitary pads at a rate she has never experienced before in her life. Some days, on bad days, she can sit on the toilet and listen to her menstrual blood hit the water in a steady drizzle. She is constantly lightheaded, woozy, ready to drop. This is menopause, isn't it? Protracted and heavy periods, a normal, natural event. Yet the medical term, menorrhagia, 
is too clinical, far too sterile to describe this carnage, and pain, so much pain. A nest of starving mice is gnawing through her insides, a crazy notion. But in the dead of night, when the world is smothered and unable to make a single sound, Elaine lies awake, worrying about the possibility of mice. For the past year, maybe longer, her husband Malcolm has urged Elaine to tell their doctor. She sees the doctor every three months anyway for her prescription refills, so why not mention the heavy periods? Elaine has refused. The bleeding will soon stop of its own accord. After all, she is 51. How much longer can her exhausted ovaries keep going? But when the blackened clots begin slipping out of her, raw and slick, plump, as engorged as chicken livers, Elaine panics and makes an appointment. Tests follow, invasive tests. And now, here she sits in her doctor's office, waiting for the results. The autumn sun beats weakly against the window pane. The desk holds a jar of lollipops. A cardboard box of show bags for expectant mothers sits beneath the examination table. Familiar sights. Elaine has come here for some twenty-six years, ever since her one and only pregnancy. Her daughter is grown up now, married and gone. Long gone. The doctor stares at his computer monitor. One fat hand clasps the mouse, clicking, scrolling. The other hand cups his double chin. He was slim once, back in the day. A chubby finger, preoccupied, taps at his teeth. Elaine shifts in the chair, waiting, perspiring, bleeding. The doctor steals glances at her as he reads the test reports. Time crawls by. Elaine bites her lips, clenches her toes inside her shoes. The doctor's eyes squint, widen as if in shock. Squint again. Clearly he can't believe the information on the screen. Elaine's stomach clenches. It's mice. A nest of mice, chewing, hollowing her out. If only Malcolm were here. But he's at work. He's always at work. Malcolm fears it may be cancer, which is a much more sensible fear in Elaine's opinion. The doctor sits back in his chair. You have fibroids. She has heard of the condition, but is not sure what it means. Oh, uh, cancerous? No. Uh, benign tumours inside the uterus. Inside your womb. But, but they're loose. Uh, the tumours move around. The doctor taps at his teeth again. He will not meet her gaze. Elaine's heart flitters and flops against her ribs. If Malcolm were here, he would tell her to calm down. I am safe, she tells herself, recalling the practiced mantra. Not everything is a conspiracy. All is well. Doctor, do the fibroids move around? Uh, like mice trapped in a bag? He stares at her intently, without blinking, in a way that makes her afraid. Then he arranges his lips into a grin and emits a chuckle, his belly <laughs> bouncing. Move? Absolutely not. Fibroids are anchored. They grow out of the womb's endometrium like, um, mushrooms out of dirt. He flicks a runnel of sweat from his hairline. 
The uterus is very swollen, uh, about the size of a five-month pregnancy. It'll be a hysterectomy, I'm afraid. Hysterectomy? Elaine stiffens in the chair. Her womb taken out? That special place where she grew her only child. To be excised, thrown away without care into a medical waste bin. Elaine clenches her jaw to stop the tears from rising. Yet the pain prowls around, nipping and munching. A clot slithers out. No. Elaine cannot keep living like this. Bleeding like this. Her mice-filled womb is trying to kill her. She knows this to be true. All right, she says, smiling, smiling, smiling. Yes, a hysterectomy. The doctor pecks, two-fingered, at the computer keyboard. I'm referring you to a gynaecologist named Smith. Elaine's smile dies. Why can't I see my regular gyno? The printer sounds. The doctor withdraws the page and hands it over. She takes it, blindly. No, I'm sorry. I want my regular gyno. The doctor regards her from the corner of his eye. How are your meds? Still keeping all those strange thoughts under control? She nods, scrunches up the referral, stuffs it into her handbag. I can always increase the dosages, hanging his forefinger over the keyboard again. Double doses might help? No, I'm fine. Thank you. Elaine stands, releasing a hot flood. If she doesn't change her sanitary pad now, right now, it will overflow. Dizzy, she crosses the room and scrabbles for the doorknob. In a rush, the doctor says, uh, your fibroids aren't mobile. What you're experiencing is referred pain. Uh, the tumours can't move. Uh, it's impossible. Do you understand? She glances around. The doctor's sweating face is set. A vein pulses in his temple. Both meaty hands are clenched. Liar. She is on to him. But she must not let him know that she knows. Yes. Thank you. Elaine backs out of the room. I understand completely. As soon as Elaine gets home, she studies the referral letter. Dr. John Smith, obviously a pseudonym. The letters after his name are meaningless. MBBS, FRCOG, Franzcog, DDU. Yet what can Elaine do? Keep bleeding to death? She has a sherry. It is 10.39am. She drinks another. Her pills have the same red-rimmed sticker on each box. This medicine may cause drowsiness and may increase the effects of alcohol. She only drinks when Malcolm is at work. In the evening, she has black tea, mint tea, rubois. A little sherry won't hurt. Doesn't hurt. A glass here and there helps her to calm down. That's what Malcolm wants, isn't it? A normal, stable, pleasant wife. A calm wife. She calls the number on Dr. Smith's referral letter. A man answers. Hello? This is not what she expects. No one in a professional setting answers the phone in such a casual manner. Perhaps she has the wrong number. Hello? This is Dr. Smith. 
Is anyone there? Yes. Uh, Mrs. Elaine Gray? Excellent. <laughs> Let's make the appointment for tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. Elaine agrees and hangs up, breathless. Over dinner, she tries to explain what has happened, but Malcolm reaches across the kitchen table and pats her hand. Don't worry. Specialists usually have long waiting times, sure, but this bloke must have had a cancellation. Stop reading too much into it, okay? Okay. Of course. Dr. Smith's clinic is located in the midst of a tacky strip of shops. Wedged between a tattoo parlour and a Felice sign is a door bearing the weathered inscription of Dr. John Smith, Women's Health, by appointment only. Elaine hesitates. Perhaps she should leave. But the tearing pains in her womb change her mind. As it turns out, these pains are not caused by hungry mice. Last night in bed, kept awake by the chomping and chewing, she had a vision of the actual culprits. Limbless and eyeless little monsters, round as meatballs, purplish-black and tufted with random crops of hair, equipped with teeth. How they got inside her womb, she has no idea. Elaine pushes against Dr John Smith's door. It opens onto a dusty, musty smell and a single flight of carpeted stairs. She climbs. Atop the landing, there is no waiting room, no receptionist. Nothing but a plain wooden door. She clutches her handbag to her swollen abdomen, clenches her toes against her shoes. Blood and clots run, run, run from her in an endless fall, soaking the sanitary pad. Spots dance in her vision. This ordeal must end. It has to end. She will rid herself of the multitudes, of the hair and teeth. Otherwise, the monsters will chew right through her womb and escape. Kidneys, liver, pancreas. No organ would be safe. Her doctor must have foreseen the possibility in her test results. That would explain his nervous tick. The tapping of incisors, the side eye, the sweating and his referral to the mysterious Dr. John Smith. Medical treatment for monsters requires a special doctor, an outlier, a surgeon with his office crowned between a tattoo parlour and a Felice sign, a gynaecologist without clientele, a receptionist. Elaine knocks. Seconds pass. Hello? The plain wooden door opens. A man peeks his head out. It is a sleek head, with greased black hair combed into perfectly straight and even rows, like an empty, tilled field. His dark eyes shine. He smiles with his lips closed. Elaine is small, barely five feet tall, but this man is smaller. Much smaller. He wears a charcoal suit, white shirt, red tie. Dr. Smith? He opens the door and ushers her inside with the wave of a child-sized hand. As he retreats, Elaine takes in the room. An examination table. Two chairs. A desk. There is nothing on the desk. No computer, no jotting pad, no pen. Elaine's shoulders tighten even more. The start of a headache squeezes her scalp. She sits opposite Dr. John Smith. He is smiling. 
His face is narrow and pointed, as if swept back from the nose. Fibroids. Ah, but you don't agree. This takes her by surprise. She doesn't know how to respond. Tell me what you think they are. Be frank, please. What for? You'll assume I'm crazy. Somber, Dr. John Smith shakes his pinched little head and gestures for her to speak. All right, she lifts her chin. At first, I thought my womb held a nest of mice. Mice? He nods, mulling it over. And now? Now I know it holds monsters. Dozens of them. Monsters with hair and teeth. Dr. Smith steeples his fingers, leans back in the chair and contemplates the ceiling. You believe you're harbouring teratomas? Teratomas? I'm sorry, I don't know what they are. A type of germ cell tumour that grows in the reproductive organs. Quite rare, he says, and passes one tiny set of knuckles against his mouth, just for a moment, as if stifling a grin. Misbegotten tumours. Often presented with hair and teeth. Yes, that sounds about right. Mrs. Gray, have you told anyone else about your suspicions? No, absolutely not. He takes a business card from his jacket pocket and offers it with just the tips of his manicured fingertips. Tomorrow, 9am at this hospital. No food or drink after midnight. Tomorrow? She takes the card. You're scheduling my surgery for tomorrow? Pack a bag sufficient for a two-night stay. Keep taking your medications as prescribed. It's very important that you keep taking your medications. Very important. Don't you have any other patients? He interlaces his fingers and rests his hands on the empty desk. You're quite ill, Mrs. Gray. Your womb is grossly enlarged and deformed. Some of the tumours have grown so fast they've outstripped their own blood supply and become necrotic. That means the tumours are rotting, Mrs. Gray, decaying like corpses. You are pregnant with death itself, as it were. He smiles and stands up. Remember, nothing to eat or drink after midnight. Elaine stands up too, breathless, faint, nauseated, bleeding, hot clots sliding out. Over dinner, Malcolm pats the back of her hand. Well, Dr. Smith must have had a cancellation. You're really poorly. Dr. Smith said so himself. Count your blessings, you don't have to wait. The hospital turns out to be a suburban brick veneer. Instead of gardens, there is asphalt for parking. The morning is bright and cloudless, glaring. Elaine clutches the handles of her valise, biting her lip as Malcolm steers their car into one of the many vacant spots and cuts the engine. Ordinary houses where people live are on either side of the hospital. In fact, the whole street is full of ordinary houses. It's a private clinic. This is how they tend to look out here in the suburbs. Calm down, would you please? Stop chewing the inside of your cheek. In the pre-surgery waiting room, Behind a drawn curtain, Malcolm folds her clothes for her, ties the straps of her hospital gown, 
helps pull the compression stockings over her feet and up her knees. He is whistling through his front teeth all the while. Are you scared? People can die during surgery. Don't be silly. You're in good hands. Elaine stares at her husband very carefully. It was Malcolm who encouraged her to see the GP in the first place. Malcolm who reassured her about Dr. Smith's deserted consulting room and unfilled surgery schedule. Malcolm who is sitting next to her, whistling a jaunty tune, now searching through a stack of magazines for something to read. No, she must be logical. Soon she will bleed no more, not ever again. Her womb will be gone, thrown away. That is a good thing. I am safe, she tells herself. Not everything is a conspiracy. All is well. She stops staring at her husband. Instead, she looks around the room. It must have been a lounge room originally, back when the hospital was a family home. There are three other booths, each one with its curtain drawn back, each booth empty. Elaine clenches her toes against the linoleum floor, over and over and over again. The nurse comes in. It is the same woman from the reception desk. Ready? No. Elaine has changed her mind. She doesn't want to do this anymore. She wants to see her regular gynaecologist instead. She must insist on a second opinion. Malcolm takes hold of Elaine's hand. Together, they follow the nurse to the corridor. The nurse stops and says, This is where you part ways. Mrs. Gray, you come with me. Hubby, you go down the exit and we'll see you in a couple of hours, okay? Malcolm leans down to kiss Elaine. A sob chokes off Elaine's throat. She flings her arms around his neck and clings on until he laughs, taking hold of her wrists to push her away. The nurse is laughing too. I'm frightened. You'll be fine, Malcolm says, and leaves. Elaine watches him go, her fists pressed to her swollen abdomen, against her belly pregnant with monsters both dying and dead, against her womb filled with hair and teeth. Come along, the nurse says. Elaine trails behind, crying, hiccuping on sobs. She turns a corner and stops. There is a gurney with metal side rails, a half dozen people in green or blue scrubs. As one, they all look at her and smile with closed lips. None of them seem to mind or even notice that Elaine is weeping. A child steps forward. Uh, no, not a child, but Dr. John Smith. She didn't recognise him at first in his scrubs, with the cap covering the greased ruts of his hair. He is rubbing his palms together the skin making a dry, whisking sound, his dark eyes shining with anticipation and delight. Everyone stands very still, motionless. Sorry, I'm just a bit scared, Elaine whispers, embarrassed, thumbing away tears. No one says anything. Their cold, perfunctory manner allows her to regain control. She is helped onto the gurney. The anaesthetist puts a cannula into the back of her hand. The monsters gnaw and rind and gnash. Elaine feels weak. Not long now. Not long. A couple of women push the gurney into another room. This is the theatre. 
It has an enormous light fixture with many bulbs hanging from the ceiling. Trolleys covered in stainless steel equipment. Machines on carts. A central table. The window looks out onto a clothesline. The women help Elaine to lie on the table. Someone puts a mask over her nose and mouth. Compressed air hisses out of it. The air smells like rubber and medicine. Someone else puts a syringe into the cannula in her hand and depresses the plunger. A sickly dropping sensation, like the downward swoop of a roller coaster, surges through Elaine and momentarily stops the monsters from biting, catching them, like her, by surprise. Well, that feels weird, Elaine says, and closes her eyes for a moment. She opens them. The pain is excruciating, agonizing. It gnaws and mauls and flails widely throughout her body, violent and wrenching, taking her breath. She tries to bring her knees to her chest, but it's too feeble. A wail breaks from her throat. Relax. Calm down. Elaine gasps, blinks. She is in a different room. The operation must be over. Her rotting uterus should be in a medical waste bin. Writhing, she cries. Help me. Please, help me. Calm down, intones the voice again. This time she recognises Dr. Smith. She forces her eyes open. The entire surgical staff is arranged around her bed, watching her. Dr. Smith stands at the foot of the bed, grinning. Elaine tries to lift her head. Why didn't you take out the monsters? Why did you let them loose? The teeth are roaming, unchecked, chewing rapidly at her bowels, biting her diaphragm in frantic search for heart and lungs, gnawing through muscle to burrow down into each thigh. The operation was a success. Congratulations. He looks around at his team. They look back at him and at each other. Elaine clutches her abdomen. The pain. I can't stand it. Relax. You're in good hands. His hands are clasped to his chest as if in joy. The team members grip the metal side rails of the bed. Their hands are white-knuckled. No one touches her. Smiling with closed lips, silently. They watch her as she winces, thrashes, struggles. Elaine understands now, too late, as the unleashed monsters tear and rip through her guts. But she is not safe. Everything is a conspiracy. All is not well. You've been listening to the Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. Hair and Teeth was first published in Aurealis number 113, August 2018, and was written by Deborah Sheldon. It was also selected for Year's Best Hardcore Horror, Volume 4, April 2019. For more information, head to the link in the description. Award-winning author Deborah Sheldon writes stories, novellas, and novels across the darker spectrum of horror, crime, and noir. Visit her at deborahsheldon.wordpress.com. 
Deb's latest releases include the novella Man Beast and the collection Liminal Spaces. This episode was narrated by Georgia Cook. Georgia is a writer, illustrator and voiceover artist from London. She can be found on Twitter at Georgia Cooked and on her website georgiacookwriter.com. Jimmy Horrors was performed by James Barnett. Jonathan Redston was performed by the one and only Falconetti. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. If you would like to support the podcast and would like early access to episodes, access to exclusive episodes, and also access to exclusive merch, why not support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Night's End Podcast. Or if you're so inclined, please leave us a five-star rating and a review as it helps us reach more people. And as always, stay horrific, everyone. <laughs>